The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Good afternoon. You are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridge here and we're delighted to be with you for another edition of the Cambridge Film Show. We've had the drama of Barbenheimer, of people rushing back to cinemas. Uh, we were there all the time, frankly, but uh, it's nice of everyone else to come and join us uh, over the last couple of weeks. Lovely to see cinemas full again. Uh, but actually, uh, it's just nice to be talking about films. Consequently, I think most of the team have a little bit of fatigue and uh, filling the uh, the strain of having uh, been away for the past couple of weeks. So uh, it's a, a compaction bijou team we have uh, today uh, talking about a variety of films, uh, including a MiG-2, uh, The Trench, Joyride, uh, Happiness for Beginners, uh, The Beanie Bubble, Talk to Me, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Uh, guiding us through all of those, uh, I am joined today by uh, Simon West. Hello. Uh, and, do you know... Uh, Nick Kitchen. Uh, Nick Kitchen. <laughs> is, is the, yeah, we struggle to work out the best way to introduce We've you, Nick. We, we have, so uh, Nick Kitchen, nice and simple. Uh, right, let us get started with uh, A Trip to the Deep. Jonas, we need your help. We're detecting increased aquatic activity 25,000 feet deep in the trench. It's an ancient ecosystem untouched by man. Whatever is down there is trying to make its way to the surface. This is a bad idea. Just a little bit. Jonas, we've got company. That's the biggest meg I've ever seen. Biggest meg anyone's ever seen. That's the apex predator. So it is the apex predator, but is it the apex of Ben Wheatley's film career is the question we're going to be trying to be answering now. Uh, this is a rather surprising departure maybe for the British director, maybe best known for the likes of Kill List and Sightseers uh, and High Rise, of course, in recent years as well. Uh, this time he's taken on the Jason Statham sequel where a research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. And uh, now I haven't actually seen this one. It's the one film I haven't seen this week. So I'm going to be uh, relying on Nick and Simon to guide me through this one. Nick, let's start with you uh, by asking if you were a fan of the original. Uh, can you even remember the original? Um, yes, I can. In fact, I've seen the original a lot because um, it's a bit of a family favourite and we often compared it to Jaws and uh, it's not as, it wasn't obviously, didn't have that classic status of Jaws, but I was looking forward to Meg 2 enormously because it, the uh, West East crossover films, of which this is one, always excite me. They rarely hit the mark perfectly, because I think they're trying to please too many audiences. But when I heard Ben Wheatley was behind it, um, I was like, what? <laughs> How's this going to work? Um, Free Shot was another film you didn't mention, but a film that is quite visceral in its um, in its action and blood and gore. And I thought, oh, this is going to be, this could be an interesting uh, departure for, for Mr. Wheatley. And it was, it's been written by the Hober brothers who did Reds and Transformers, um, Rise of the Beasts, and they've, you know, got some good pedigree behind them. So going into this, it was, you know, I had some expectations. Um, I think to, the first thing I would say is that it, the first half is, uh, 
underwater, a lot of it. I don't want to give any spoils, spoilers away, but it's very hard to follow the action and it's a bit muddled and confused in terms of what's going on, who's doing what. Um, when they come out of the ocean, and again, I don't want to do many spoilers, but there's, it's a movie of two halves, I will say that. I've, I felt the second half <laughs> was much more fun. Um, they charge around the place, um, battling uh, megalodons, plural, and... Um, other beasts from the Jurassic period. I won't say any more than that because we don't really want to spoil it too much. But what I want to say about that is that it does reference a large number of movies in that space, from Jurassic Park to Aliens to, of course, Jaws. Um, and I enjoyed it enormously. I thought it was rip-roaring fun. I think um, it, it's been a bit harshly uh, critiqued by the critics. I did look on Rotten Tomatoes just before we came. It's 28% to the critics, 70 to the audience. And I think that sums it up quite nicely. The problem with the film, and I think where it's come into some criticism, it is muddled. It's got a plot holes that you could literally drive through a megalodon's mouth. Um, but I think the big problem is it is Ben Wheatley who has a skewed look at the world and his films are always sort of slightly off kilter, a bit warped, a bit deranged. I mean, I love and hate Kill List in equal measures. Um, and so I think I was hoping that this film would have more of the Ben Wheatley sort of gore twist to it. And I think that leads me to the, the major problem here. And it's something I discussed with Lorcan last time. Um, this really needs to be a 15, not a 12A. And it's difficult for it to be a 15 in the UK because it's a hard stop. You're either over 15 or you're under 15. There is no discretion. There would have been room here to make this gorier, a bit more um, satirical. There's a, there's a great scene in it where Megalodon's literally chomping through people. Again, not too many plot spoilers, but you know that could have been done much more viscerally with a bit more dark humour because it's Ben Wheatley. But it, I, I, I suspect the studio said, no, we've got we've to have it. It's a 12A. It's for, it's for a certain audience. If we had more discretion around a 15 mark, 15A, say, advisory, then they could have thrown in a bit more gore, a bit more sort of dark, twisted Meg stuff, and I think the film would have been lifted a lot from that. So it's definitely flawed, it's not perfect, but I enjoyed it, and I would recommend people go and see it. And I think that 70% on audience on uh, RT is about right. Well, of course, we have to remember that we're actually sitting on the critic side of the fence, technically, rather than the audience side. Well, I'm, 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 so, uh, well, I'm seeing this as from an audience perspective. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you, you may be seeing it from the, the 70% perspective, but, uh, but yeah, we, we sit very much on the 28% side of the fence yeah, as, as, as being sat here. Uh, which side of the fence are you sitting on, Simon? Um, I'm definitely on the audience side of the fence here. But then again, it is a film of two halves. So for the first half, I'm on the critic side. Um, mm. It takes a while to get going. As Nick mentioned, it's very dark, it's hard to see, and the biggest flaw in this film is not enough sharks and not enough megalodons, which for a film called Megalodon 2, you'd expect more sharks. Um, I've yet to like find a Ben Wheatley film I've really liked, um, so I was hoping this was actually going to change it, and I think overall it did, maybe because it wasn't his usual style. Um, I always think I should like him, for whatever reason, I've not enjoyed his films. Um, but by the second time, it, second half of the film, it just got so silly and over the top and ridiculous. I was just like, I'm just having fun here, and that's the important thing, just having fun. Um, always been a big fan of monster movies, from like Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus mm. to all of those in Jaws, and this is just throws everything at at it and see what stick. Um, you know, you could pick holes in it, left, right and centre, from, you know, characters not recognising any what's actually going on, making absolutely no sense in the plot, just 
scene after scene of carnage um, as Nick mentioned you know it could have been imbued with a bit more gore and a bit more violence because that's what you really want to see out for monster film but overall I came out of it having fun so I mean what, what I'm taking this from the two of you is that actually uh, we, we liked it because it was not a traditional Ben Wheatley film you wouldn't know it was a Ben Wheatley film yeah. but actually it would have been better if it had been more of a Ben Wheatley <laughs> film is that, is that where we are? <laughs> yes to contradict um, ourselves nicely. I mean I just want to mention that I did, I did actually see it in 3D um, because oh. if you see a giant shark film you should see it in 3D but the 3D didn't actually add that much to it um, but it was great to see the screening I was in was absolutely packed so it looks like the Barbie Harmy effect is actually carrying over to other films and I don't think all of them were there just because the other two were booked out. So. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the question is, how long is this effect going to last? And, yeah. and, and are films like Meg 2 going to be a sufficient quality to make people want to keep coming back? Uh, feel uh, free to answer that as yeah, a question. Well, well I, think, I think it is worth seeing at the cinema because it is, you know, bonkers fun with some, you know, quite neat special effects. Uh, good point about the 3D. I can't do 3D because I have a, a lazy eye, so it doesn't work for me, but it may explain some of the darkness in the first half of the movie. Um, I'd forgotten it was in 3D. The other thing I would just say, oh, from a critic's perspective, on rest of an audience, I was um, quite... I liked Ben Wheatley's sensibility. Uh, often with these movies, uh, Moonfall, for example, I took against Moonfall, not because it was a daft silly action movie, it's the politics behind it that, that, that I, I won't go into that now, but the politics behind this I actually I quite like, so there was um, sort of uh, um, eco saving the saving the, the ocean and uh, there was a sort of um, the, 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 the capitalist, the right wing capitalists were the baddies in this one and uh, the eco warriors were, were the goodies and I quite liked that I thought that was quite nice, there was nothing for the narco syndicalists in this one, so uh, yeah I would, I mean I, I recommend it it's, as, as Simon says you know, you can take it seriously or not. As you, I mean, you can't take it too seriously. It's just good fun yeah. on a rainy sun, sun, sat, is it Saturday? Yes, rainy yeah. Saturday as it is today. Go and see Meg Two. You'll have a blast and you'll feel better about the weather. Now, the one question I do have to ask, as, as having not seen it yet, is about Jason Statham because I am a fan of the Stace. Uh, is this good on a, a level of Jason Stathamness? I mean, Jason Statham has been Jason Statham, and it's always good when you get him do um, high dives or things as well. Which is always quite impressive being the ex-diver. Um, he is. I wouldn't say he's phoning it in. Um, he's actually got a really good side cast as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Jing Wu yeah. is really quite good as his uh, partner, Jimmy Zhang. Yeah. Um, replacing his partner from the previous film. You've got Sophia Kai uh, turning up as Mei Ying, the young girl, who's a little bit older and a little bit more out for excitement. Um, yeah, because one, one of the trailers I saw seemed very focused around her character, uh, so I wasn't quite sure how that played into the film. She's in it a bit more, um, but... She was fine, you know, she's quite less useless as she was in the first film, but it's it, quite a nice, actually, touching relationship between um, their characters, um, you know, developed on from the, the gaps in between the film. I thought it was a retcon quite nicely. Mm. But overall, like I said, it, it was just fun. I don't think anyone was taking it too seriously. I thought I had a bit of a Fast and Furious vibe, because mm. um, there are... It's not just Stace and Statham. It, mm -hmm. it does seem to be more of an um, ensemble cast mm. for a lot of the fighting. It's not him and everyone else is useless. They can all bring something to the party. Yeah. I mean, while, while we're talking about the cast, I should just give a shout-out because I just love people with fantastic names. Uh, to Whoopi Van Ram, who plays, uh, <laughs> who plays Curtis. Uh, I, I would love that to be a birth name and not, uh, not a, uh, a, a stage name. But, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I'm mentioning that because I'm looking down the cast list and not seeing a huge amount of, of recognisable names. I think Cl Cliff Curtis is the only other name that I probably recognise. Louis plays uh, the uh, bad guy, uh, 
bad woman, could I say? Um, <laughs> and that's the only other name I think I recognise. Yeah. Uh, uh, in Jing Wu, I was trying to where have I seen Wang Jing? But he's in The Wandering Earth, which is a film that I quite liked, a Chinese, uh, where they sort of tow the earth across the space for some unknown reason I can't remember now but that was it was an enjoyable romp I will just say one thing about Jason Statham and I have to be careful here because it's the end of the movie but there is a classic Statham moment at the end of the movie where they kind of um, do a, a, a nod to Jaws 2 of all films mm. uh, and um yeah, there's a sort of classic moment at the very end of the movie when I don't think it's a spoiler to say that uh, Statham is victorious in the end, um, but uh, he stands there very heroically, having defeated uh, defeated his uh, nemesis sharks, and he looks uh, particularly Statham-like in that scene. I thought. I mean, that, that feels like a good image to uh, end our discussion of Meg 2 on, which is showing at both of you and the light cinemas and from the sounds of it available in 3D as well. Uh, if uh, your eyes cope with it and uh, you actually fancy that, frankly, because uh, uh, neither is a guarantee. Uh, but uh, do go and enjoy, uh, as our two critics did, uh, if, uh, if you go along to that. Uh, still to come in the show, uh, we'll be uh, talking about happiness and beanies and turtles. Uh, what an absolute combination. So do stay with us for that. But now we're going to see if a joyride is actually a joyride. Bravo! Encore! Encore! Audrey? Oh my god, that was so good! You're such a big shot! Oh, come on, you are the big shot, you big shot lawyer! Best, Best friends, friends reunited! Bum, 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 bum! Deep in the night, how I wonder. Please make him real, how I'll pray! What? That was so lame. What was that? Wait, no, you, Kat and I were part of the same college acapella group. The Toodles! <laughs> Stop! Right. Oh, oh, it's so nice to see you. Um, I hear that you're living in Audrey's garage and, and drawing penises now. Wait, uh, uh, I told you, Lolo is an amazing artist. I do body positive art. Interesting. You know, I, uh, and remind me of your name again. My legal name is Vanessa. Call me Deadeye. Oh. Where did that come from? You know, I think I get it. That was a clip from the film there. Uh, we had to have a clip this morning because the trailer is so utterly packed full of swearing that it's not appropriate for use on a show on a Saturday lunchtime. Let's hear from a couple of the cast of the film as well. We heard them there in the trailer. Uh, a rather impressive cast that includes Ashley Park and Stephanie Hsu. Uh, here, first of all, talking about her experience on the film is Ashley Park. The first time the four of us were together was when... We got together the day before our table read to try to figure out how we would do WAP for the table read. And honestly, like our chemistry read together, there was just something sparkly. It was just so easy. What's so funny is so many people in Vancouver on our crew were like, how many years have you guys known each other? And what I feel about Stephanie and Sherry and Sabrina, what is so wild is that I just on set has never been more collaborative. And that was Ashley Park. Here is Stephanie Hsu uh, talking about what audiences can expect from the film. I think Ashley called it the summer camp we never got to go to when we were kids. And it really did feel like that. In Vancouver, we all stayed in the same apartment and we would rap like after long hours and then we would always end up in somebody's room and get like Asian takeout. It was a very special kind of camaraderie that we have and we're all very different, but the chemistry between us is really special and we do take really good care of each other. We ate such good food. Like we would always just eat such good Asian food and it was so nice. Well, it sounds like the food was good. How did the film stack up in comparison, Simon? 
Well, one of the things I did see in all the trailers and all the reviews of this film so far are how it's a one of the first full female ensemble comedies since Bridesmaids um, and one that's full-on, incredibly risque and, you know, all out, really. Um, the problem is I absolutely hated Bridesmaids. It's known amongst my friends about apparently when I sat there with them and everyone in the cinema laughing, I was just sat there and as I said, the, the hatred was just, just emanating out of me and my friends just could just tell that I was just not enjoying myself at all. And I'd, I'd hate to say, I had pretty much exactly the same experience in this film as well. Um, there's a nice introduction where the girls are introduced as small children in the park in, in Canada. Um, and... There's a couple of jokes in there, and I did laugh. And I think they're the only laughs I had for the rest of the entire film. I I just didn't get it. I didn't enjoy the, the characters. I didn't enjoy the story. I thought some of it was actually quite mean and, you know, stereotypical about um, Ashley Park trying to find a birth mother because... Th- the business guy they were trying to do business with refused to do business with anybody if you didn't know who your family was which just seemed a really strange shoehorned plot in and after that you just get um over the top situation followed by situation with characters which i didn't take to and it just none of it felt you know real or anything like that it's just like a sketch show where you just don't find it funny I, I think that's a fairly clear assessment of, of where you were with the film. I, I would say I enjoyed it a little bit more than that, but for me, it was the serious moments that probably worked better, uh, and I would completely agree that the whole situation of trying to get her to find her birth mother feels shoehorned in, but actually, the, when those scenes play out, for me, they felt like the, the heart of the film, and I almost wish it had been a sort of tender drama rather than actually do, trying to be a comedy, because that, that, that was what worked for me rather than the, the Bridesmaid-style comedy. Yeah, um, I mean, some, there were definitely nuggets of an interesting storyline in here, in here, and I think they could have run with it and made a much more interesting film. Um, talking about identity, uh, being American-born Chinese versus being, uh, you know, um, native Chinese, um, and trying to find who your family are and who your mother. Um, but unfortunately, when, when you mix it in with all the gross-out comedy, I just found none of it worked, and none of it was really in service with the rest of it. Um, so I just didn't feel it. I mean, we, we've been through a number of these films. You've mentioned Bridesmaids already. Uh, the Hangover was another that came to mind yeah. here in terms of the setup. And so Hangover very much the, uh, the, the white male version of this genre. Uh, Bridesmaids the, uh, the white female version, and now we have yeah. the, uh, the Asian female version as well. I mean, is is there a risk that actually some of the jokes might not be you know stuff that appeals to us because actually you know, you need to have come from you know a, an Asian or an American background to 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 get some of that or it, it, it's possible. I mean, it could purely be the taste of humour. I mean, I normally have quite a dark sense of humour, but a lot when it comes down to gross out comedy, that's just not something for me. I mean, I remember finding um, Hangover incredibly funny and I really you know quite enjoyed it, but Hangover Two, on the other hand. I seem to recall having an incredible mean streak to it. So I couldn't laugh because although, you know, although I can see they're trying to be funny, but if it comes from a place of, you know, hatred, and you just couldn't really enjoy any of it. And I don't know whether that's what came over here. It was just, you know, made me uncomfortable some of it or, or what. I mean... 
I mean, like I said, when you come following, watch it following a week after Barbie, which is one of the funniest films I've seen in quite a long time. It's great to see comedies out here. And then we, we just go back to this, and it's just like, I don't know. I keep hearing about, oh, yes, this is a group of people you don't often see on the screen together being, you know, mean and horrible, and they you should be to each other. And you think, well, really, should be that why you should be holding it up? Yeah, because there, there is no real camaraderie between the group uh, for quite a long stretch of the film. It's, it it does take an awful long while for them to actually bond as a group. Yeah. And consequently, that doesn't, to me, feel like it's actually in, in any way trying to engage an audience either. I mean, you're, you're starting off with, you know, the best friends, immediately you do things where it's like, I don't think I want to be your friend anymore, but I'm going to tag along anyway, just purely because I need you as a professional translator. Um, but I don't actually want you on the trip. Oh, and, oh you bought your cousin who we don't like either and you don't like, but they're just, it's just like and I meet your friend who's moved out it's like the group don't like each other to begin with so why <laughs> why bring them together it just adds extra artificiality to it uh, it, it does. I mean, do, do any of the cast come out of this with any credit, do you feel? We've got Ashley Park as, as Audrey, Stephanie Shew as Kat, Sherry Kohler as Lolo, and Sabrina Wu as Deadeye, who are the group of four who are uh, attempting to bond, largely unsuccessfully. Uh, did, did anyone get any credit from this for you? Um, I hadn't seen Ashley Park before, um, and I thought she was quite good. I seemed to have lots of plenty of charisma. And, I mean, Stephanie Shew was great in everything, everywhere, all at once. Um I think Ashley Park had seen in, what was it, Only Murders in the Building? Uh, yes, before. that's right. Um, Which is, I, just as a complete aside, is back on Tuesday, uh, if we're going to talk about something something <laughs> good. Something Very, to look forward to yes, after uh, on, watching this film. I mean, on, on on day, it, it's getting hard, actually, you know, think about anything positive to say about it uh, a lot of the time. Well, I think at this point I should probably uh, put you out of your misery. Uh, Nick, you've not seen the film, but uh, no, do you, do you was, want to chip in with the perspective here? Well, I was just going to ask, do you think you need to be in the right mood to see it? Because I've heard people say that, you know, you can go in, uh, if you go in with a sort of... Um, I mean, that is possibility, because, you know, I must admit, I saw the trailers, and it's not a film I was looking forward to. I didn't find the trailers funny. Mm. I've seen plenty of other films. I just came out of seeing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm. um, before watching this. Um and definitely had a lot more fun as one than the other. Um, I think I think for me, the, the gauge of a good comedy is always, and as we are seeing more people back in cinemas now, mm. chances are you're seeing it with an audience and you work out if they're going to laugh as well. Now, I saw this at the preview at the Arts Picture House on Tuesday, so this was an audience that clearly were desperate to see it, mm. and I would say there was not a lot of laughter during the runtime in this mm. from the whole audience, which to me is the sign of a comedy that's not quite working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's got reasonable scores on, on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and things like that, mm. I feel that's probably driven by some of the more serious material around the the adoption story, probably faring better with audiences. Undoubtedly, there will be people that that sort of enjoy the humour of this, but it just wasn't working for me. I mean, watch the trailer. Um, I think Will, who does the show, he said he quite enjoyed it because he caught an earlier preview on it as well. Um, I think the trailer is probably a good guide for whether you're actually going to enjoy it. If you like Bridesmaids, you may like this. Yes. Well, I didn't. You know, yeah. I think, I there, think there may be, there, you know, there's no doubt there is an audience out there for it. It's just, I'm not part of it. Yeah. yeah. I think it is one of those occasions when actually the trailer is pretty representative of what you get in the film. So I, I think our advice is here watch the trailer. And if, you, if you're not keen, 
then there are plenty of other things in cinemas at the moment that you'd do much better with. Yeah. Uh, if you do decide you fancy it once you've watched it, then do get yourself along to The View or The Light, uh, where it is showing this week. Uh, you are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and south Cambridgeshire, and I am with Simon West and Nick Kitchen as we digest the week's film releases. We've covered a couple of the cinema releases, uh, so let's turn our attention now to the world of streaming. And first of all, uh, we have a film starring Ellie Kemper, who people might know from the likes of The Office, American version, and The Unbreakable the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I, I just added a random preposition there to the title of that programme. Uh, but uh, I would say, uh, we were chatting before the show, I think I'm a big fan of, of Ellie Kemper. Uh, Simon, you are not so much, it's probably not fair so to say. No. Uh, and uh, Nick, what, what are your thoughts on Ellie Kemper as, a, as a, an actress, human being? Uh, yeah, bear in mind, uh, no, no, no slander with all of our uh, show policies. So, she, she she was also in Bridesmaid, wasn't she? Uh, I you got a feeling she, she was. was. I have a feeling she had a, a, a bit of a bit of a. I've no strong view on her. I mean, um, Twenty One Jump Street. I think she was in as well. Um, this uh, film, indeed, and uh, and the oh, Lego yeah. Batman movie as well. Oh yeah, there we go. Um, so I didn't. I, I I don't have a strong view on Ellie Kemper uh, to be as a as an actress. As the film, um, happiness for beginners. Well, where do we start? For <laughs> How happy did this film make me? Um, not enormously, but not as badly as um, other people have reviewed this film. I think. Uh, look, again, looking at um, the RT scores, I've not had, I've not uh, heard any other reviews of this. So this is entirely my take, which is, it's a, a by numbers rom com, which has a fair, it comes from a good place. It has a decent heart unlike robots which i spoke about last time which comes from a very dark place this comes from a, a quite gentle um comforting place you know exactly what's going to happen from start to finish a bit like the trek they go on uh, is a uh, to explain the movie there's uh, a group of people uh, decide to go on a trek through the wilderness together and in so doing find themselves and also uh, two of them one of whom is ellie kemper um find their true love and i don't think i'm giving much away because it's a rom-com and you know how it starts and you know how it ends um i, I would the only thing i'd really say about this is it's it's a bit boring if i'm honest with you it's i oh, no, that's let me re- retract that i wasn't bored but i was forgot about it almost instantly so i'm kind of contradicting myself here to say that it's perfectly acceptable it's inoffensive um on a rainy afternoon you could watch a, uh, there are plenty of other worse movies and rom-coms that you could watch um however you will forget about it five minutes after the end which is not great for us when we're actually trying to review it uh, uh, some time after it's actually been watched. This uh, is true. We have one vote for uh, for uh, not bland. Uh, I'm actually going to cast my vote for incredibly bland here. Uh, <laughs> Simon, uh, you get the casting vote. Where are you going? Um, well, I've got a small list here. Uh, Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon. Uh, oh. Tracks by Mia Rasekowska. The Way by Martin, Martin Sheen. A Walk in the Woods, based on the Bill Bryson novel, starring Robert Redford. Mm. Into the Wild... The Way Back, mm-hmm. all fantastic films on the theme of hiking and walking through the wilderness and rediscovering yourself. And you can watch any of those instead of watching this film. Um, the m- main question I had when watched it was why? I mean, Nick kept calling it a rom-com without any romance or comedy. I wasn't sure whether this was supposed to be a drama or a comedy because they've picked up a group of stereotypical characters... And they keep having 
like shots of people saying weird stuff in weird ways. Like, like it's meant to be funny, except it isn't. Um, I, I realise how down I'm sounding on this show at the moment. Mm. I'm saying it does get better. Mm. It, it's just... I mean, after Joyride, I thought Joyride was going to be the worst film I've seen this week. And then, unfortunately, we watched Happiness for Beginners, mm. which I watched over three parts because I couldn't have the will to watch more than half an hour at a time. Well, do you know, I had a very similar experience. I, I had to keep leaving it for a bit and coming back to it. It does surprise me that it's ended up with so little in terms of redeeming features uh, because it's actually based on a novel and you would think there would be a, a good enough source material to start with there yeah. that's then being adapted. And I can only presume the, the adaptation uh, by, by director Vicky Wright of Catherine Center's novel of the same title from 2015 has, has just sucked all the life out of this because it was clearly a beloved enough book to be adapted for the screen but nothing which actually ends up on the screen gives me an indication as to why that is the case yeah i mean luke grimes and ellie kemper has absolutely no chemistry at all between each other i mean i was going through reviews positive reviews and everyone kept calling it a cozy film it's like yeah you know curl up on a fire watch this cozy but there are so many more cozy films you can actually watch rather than this one well, you've um, you, you rattled off the list of, uh, of good hiking movies there we, we could rattle off a similar list of uh, of quite average rom-coms which are which are yeah. significantly I, better I, than this one there's an interesting philosophical question True. i did see based on this and which is if a hallmark movie is not made by hallmark made by netflix is it's still a Hallmark movie. <laughs> I mean, that is the level of discussion we have about this film. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm tempted not to, to give it too much more airtime other than to try and discourage you uh, listeners from from avoiding it as strongly as possible because it, it is my worst film of the week as well. Um, I, I just... I. There's, there was one particular scene that stood out for me when somebody uh, falls through a log and, and has a hiking accident and that, that sets off another bit of the plot. Um, and it's not shot in any way which is dramatic, uh, which is exciting, which is tense, which is funny, which is uh, has en- engages any kind of sense of emotion at all. And that was the point where I, I took one of my breaks and just had to kind of come back to it. And you, you're sort of I, nodding I, and sighing. I can't Nick. actually disagree with anything either of you have said. And I took, watched it too in two sessions because I got... You know, bored of it. Um, there is no drama. Nikos, is it? Yeah, what's his name? Nikos Santos. Yeah, yeah. He's um, he's in Crazy Rich Asians as well. A nice link back to uh, to Joyride there because the director of. But uh, he's the best thing in it by a long way, and that he's hardly in it. So, um, and you're right. There's no drama. I can't really disagree with anything you've said, except to say that I wasn't offended by it in any way. Well, we appear to have created a new phenomenon because it's on Netflix. This is the mini binge. You'll have one film which you have to watch in several sessions rather than having a whole TV series. Uh, well done, Netflix. Thanks for that. Uh, do head to Netflix. Uh, if you'd like to, to really see if we're wrong, uh, but uh, yeah, try it in small chunks. Uh, we have still to come on the show, chat about the Beanie Bubble, Talk to Me, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Do stay with us. Cambridge 105 Radio. Monday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio. Strummers and Dreamers with Les Ray. As there are so many different kinds of folk songs out there. Traditional ballads, shanties, work songs, songs by singer-songwriters of all kinds, my particular thing. You'll get live sessions and interviews by local performers and those from further afield, the big names on the scene and newly emerging independent artists. Lots of new music, some classics and something special just for you. Strummers and Dreamers online whenever you want it and Monday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. It's forecast to be another hot summer. Watering the lawn, cleaning the car, filling up paddling pools. It all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources. 
But did you know, a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour. That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water, taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridgeshire's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio Across the city and South Cambridgeshire, we are Cambridge 105 Radio and this is the Cambridge Film Show. We have been digesting the week's new releases both in cinemas and on streaming. I am Mark Walsh and uh, with me today are Simon West and Nick Kitchen. And they have uh, both seen, along with myself, our second streaming release of the week. And uh, almost unrecognisable for me because I, uh, as soon as somebody shaves their beard off I, I go completely face blind. Uh, Zach Galifianakis uh, alongside Elizabeth Banks and Sarah Snook in the Beanie Bubble. So this one is a... Dis- no, it's an Apple Apple release, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I knew it's a Disney Plus then. Uh, no, it's an Apple release which had a week in cinemas in a few screenings but is now uh, just exclusively available to watch online. And this is the story of the biggest toy craze in history. Uh, Zach Galifianakis is playing Ty Warner and people might recognise the Ty name from those beanie baby toys that you still see in shops these days uh, and uh, generally sort of cute and plush and and squidgy. Uh, And this is the story of how he brought them to fame and actually how the women behind him probably did most of the work uh, as uh, he developed his career. And uh, it's a, it's a, a film that skips about in its chronology. We spend time in both the 80s and the 90s uh, and watching the story develop from the perspective of the, the three main women in his life. Elizabeth Banks plays uh, Robbie, who is the, uh, the first person to, to capture his affections. Sarah Snook, people will know from uh, Succession, of course, and, and various other fantastic things, uh, is Sheila. Uh, and uh, Geraldine uh, Viz... I should have checked this before. Uh, uh, Geraldine Viswanathan is uh, Maya, uh, who is the uh, apprentice to the company who starts off in reception and eventually becomes a powerhouse behind the scenes. What did we make of this? Uh, Simon, I will come to you first on this one. Were you a fan of the Beanie Bubble? Um, Yeah, a bit more positive this review. I really quite enjoyed it. Um, A lot of it may be down to some of the lots of the 80s and 90s nostalgia you get throughout of here and the especially um the whole storyline about being one of the first companies to actually advertise on the internet 
um, and all the auctions on eBay were one of the main things that actually made Beanie, Bubble, uh, Beanie Babies so popular. Um, so that was quite enjoyable. Um, fantastic cast, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Sarah Snook, but I really do want to um, shout out Geraldine Fiswanathan as Mayor, who was absolutely fantastic. I'd seen her before in an older film called um, um, The Blockers, uh, which was really quite funny, um, but she pretty much, I think I thought, owned this film. Um, thought it was a very interesting take on a way to sell the story, where the Arsenal being based on the company and uh, Ty by Zach Kavanaikis, telling it through the eyes of the women he had relationships with um, and were really the backbone of the company. Um, um, I mean, Zach Galifianakis is a likeable character, likeable presence, um, and he can see all the charm he's got and the childhood innocence, and it's absolutely wonderful until slowly turns into more of a, you can see the narcissistic, uh, megalomaniac and control freak he becomes, um, and almost becomes the villain of the, well, pretty much does become the villain of the piece, um, but overall, uh, yeah, I actually found it a funny, fascinating slice of history. And it, it's a, from a, what seems to be a subgenre that's doing very well, uh, particularly this year, because we've had the likes of Tetris and Air, which yeah. are both very similar nostalgia mm. films about uh, creative impulses and uh, entrepreneurial uh, development. Uh, how do you feel, Nick, that this compared to uh, the likes of those? Well, I, actually, I didn't like the Tetris movie at all, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but you're right, it does follow on from those things. And interestingly, I... And it's from a, a, a best-selling novel, as far as I can understand. I didn't know the story at all. I'm familiar with Thai dolls, because... Um, well, everybody is. Well, if you've got children, you, you, you pretty much do. Um, I was not aware of the beanie bubble craze from the 90s and um, actually spoke with some Americans about this um, yesterday and said, uh, this movie's about this beanie. Oh, they went, oh, yeah, that, I remember that. You know, I didn't know anything about this. It wasn't something, and actually it's a bit of a theme throughout the film, I don't give it away, but um, it, didn't, it didn't hit the UK in the same way, I don't think. Um, and so this, I came to this fresh because I was, oh, what's all this about? And I agree, it's it's it told through the lens, it's told through a female lens, these three women, which I thought, so there's good and bad here, but that's the bit that I really liked about the movie. It came from their perspective. Um, I thought uh, Zach Galifranakis, I can never say his name, was, was great, actually, as, a, as this very sort of, he starts off very charming and then becomes, as you say, Simon, the villain of the piece. And, he, and that unfolding of his character is, is quite neatly done. The episodic nature of the film fitting between the, the 80s and the 90s, as you say, and we move through, through the decades, was, was quite neatly done. The, 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 the women in the film, I thought Elizabeth Banks got a little bit lost at one point. Um, do I mean no? I mean um, Sarah Snook. Actually, I think she got a little bit lost at one point. But um, my so I, I enjoyed the film enormously, um, and it, that's the key word. It's very enjoyable. You 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 sit there and go, oh, what's going to happen? And, and as I didn't know the story, I knew what was coming because well, we know it's a bubble. Where I think it lost its way slightly, for me, it was about uh, tulips. I wrote tulips in Holland. Um, so in the 17th century, in the bubble, the tulips and the bubbles in, in, in Holland, where the, the economy crashed. Um, there was a, this film started off being, seemed to be about that. But then I couldn't decide um, if it was, it's, it, it was a film about um, Ty himself, Ty Warner. It ended up being a film about Ty Warner, I think, I th felt, and not so much where it started off being about women in the workplace, the systematic issues that they have in the corporate workplace and how women are treated, um, both as, if you like, sex objects, but also just not the uh, equality of pay and all those sort of issues were touched upon. 
But then the film seemed to become about Ty Warner and his character and his his flawed nature. The women come out of it at the end. I don't I don't want to give anything away, but you know um, it doesn't end badly, as it were, for people. But it doesn't equally come to any conclusions. I felt that it sort of lost its way slightly. So I'm being a bit down on it, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would recommend you go and watch it. Yeah, I, I would actually like to disagree with you some of that. I actually felt quite different where at the beginning of the film um it was more wondering why they chose to show the film through the uh, eyes of the women and rather than tie mm. um because i thought is this just you know a pro-feminist stance to take in a film to do this smoke a twist on it but it was only as the film progressed and he became more more narcissistic and all that it suddenly became clear why these women were chosen mm, as a focus. So I think towards the end, they actually came into their own, they came into strengths, and although you saw more and more of Ty and he had more influence, mm. you you know, as a bad guy, you can see how strong these women were behind him and, you know, how they were the ones that did call, you know, lead to the success of the company. Yeah. Um, Frustratingly, I would agree with that, because, because uh, you do... It, it, one of the strengths of the film is you do see Ty unfold. You see that... Because it is told retrospectively, so you know these women know him from the start yeah. we don't know him from the start they do and we think well what's so wrong with this chap yeah. and then as the, the the film unfolds that becomes quite clear and so you're absolutely spot on on that I on mean that one of the things I would give the film credit for is the directors Christian uh, Gore and Damien Kulash um you may know Damien Kulash as the lead singer of OK Go who does all the really kooky really great music videos and I think it really did give this film quite a panache and the style was interesting enough it looked good mm. it looked great so what could just be yet another business story looked fantastic really great timing great music and it you know really you know really enjoyable yeah. and, and uh, uh, co-directed also uh, co-written by Kristen Gore the daughter of Al Gore as well yeah. so uh, I, I believe uh, one of you mentioned before the show a husband and wife not not Al Gore and Kristen Gore uh, this is of course father and daughter uh, but uh, yeah Kristen Gore and Damien Kulash I, mean, I, I would say personally I just feel on the direction that um, uh, it did meander a little at times but it was a rather pleasant meandering I was I was quite happy meandering with it I, I didn't feel it needed to rush anywhere particularly and sometimes it's quite nice to have something that just uh, just bubbles along quite gently so I think a general recommendation from us yeah. here yeah. on uh, on the Beanie Bubble. Uh, and if you would like to see if the bubble bursts for you or uh, maintains, then it is on Apple TV. Uh, we come now to our penultimate film of the week and we are turning our attentions to the genre of horror. This is an Australian horror and uh, uh, follows in a fine tradition of Australian horror movies, uh, which I'm sure we'll probably get to mentioning some of at some point during the, uh, the discussion in the next few minutes. Uh, however, yet again, this is a trailer that is absolutely chock full of naughty words. So uh, to introduce Talk To Me, we're going to hear a clip from the film. Look, does anyone else want to volunteer? I'll do it. You want to go? Sit down, Mia. What are we playing? It's nothing, Riley. Haley's tricked everyone. All right, somebody time it. As soon as she lets it in, it cannot go for more than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90 seconds? They'll want to stay. And if you die while they're in you, they'll have you forever. <laughs> so late. Hey, I'm just relaying what I've been told, okay? Candles. Light the candle to open the door. 
blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say, talk to me. Talk to me. I think you hopefully get a sense of the plot of the film there. It's a group of friends discovering how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, um, but one of them goes too far, as often happens in horror movies. Uh, It is directed by Danny and Michael Philippou. I wrote the initial 80 pages, which was the just like scenes and ideas and characters and all that sort of thing. And then from there, my co-writer Bill Hinsman started throwing in his ideas to find the theme and find the structure. And then we worked together to mould it and make it into like a coherent, film. It took two years to cast the film and it took two years to find Sophie. She brought so much to the table. She was such a powerful performer and she's so like able to switch directions quickly. Even like the most subtle small note like changed her whole performance. Uh, it's a, a, a largely a cast which is probably unknown to us in the UK but there's one very recognisable face. Uh, Miranda Otto plays the mother Sue. I play Sue, um, who is Jade and Riley's mother, but she's also um, a mother figure to Mia, who's lost her mother um, some years before. So Mia tends to hang around their house a lot, sort of, you know, looking for that motherly love that she's not getting in her own home. Her dad's very depressed. Sue's someone who's very... She's a single mum, but she's also very aware of what the kids are up to like she's sort of you know trying to keep a couple of steps ahead of them and uh, trying to suss things out I've seen some fantastic Australian horror movies over the past uh, decade or so. The Babadook uh, probably being one of the most prominent. Uh, So a great film at uh, Fright Fest a few years ago called Killing Ground as well, which uh, is one to go and hunt out if you've not seen it. Uh, Do we feel that this is continuing, this fine tradition of uh, Australian horrors, Simon? Um, Yeah, it is another great Australian horror film. Um, Recently we've been quite spoiled by the A24 brands uh, with the Avi Arad films, Hereditary and uh, Midsummer, and then earlier this year he brought out Boris Afraid which I've been looking forward to for another really hard-hitting horror and was quite surprised when that wasn't it. It, You know, amazing film but not a hard-hitting horror film. This is a film I was expecting. Um, I mean, I would say, yeah, pretty high praise, putting in, yeah, I'll put it on the same level as Hereditary um, and Midsummer. It's scary, it's uncomfortable um it doesn't rely on jump scares which is one of the you know advantages of more elevated horror as they're calling it nowadays um from the opening sections when we've got an amazing intro sequence which is just sets you off on edge straight away um you've got all the teenagers and the parties and you know things aren't going to go right um there seems to be a certain setting in Australia at the moment where a lot of the teenagers seem to be almost feral. Um, it's a feeling I get, which in other films I've seen, like um, I think Nitram, when we saw earlier this year, has a similar feel, and some of the, a lot of the music scenes coming out of it is, is quite similar. Um, and this is, is set in a similar area where the teenagers and kids can pretty much run amok and do whatever they want and the parents have very very little control over what they do um as Miranda, Miranda Otto just said in that interview um so when the kids decide that in a style, similar style to Flatliners that the old classic Flatliners not the remake uh kids find out that they can have 
possession, you know, demonic possession for a short period of time and start taking it as an effective drug while filming it on TikTok like a latest viral craze and have lots of fun with it until it goes wrong and they then realise it's not just for those 90 seconds, it has got long-lasting effects which... You know, you can use as a metaphor for so much <laughs> that teenagers do. Um, Sophie Wilde was an absolute elevation. She owns this film. Uh, her performance as Mia is, you know, both heartbreaking and terrifying and scary right from the beginning. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of her um, in a lot of things because uh, she's just that good. <laughs> um, absolutely sells this film. And uh, again, the directors who apparently made the name on YouTube is still going to hopefully look forward to see what they do next. Yeah, I mean, I'm far too old to understand things like YouTube videos. I've only just gone on to Instagram, for goodness sake. So, uh, you know, you have to uh, to bear with me on that one. I do think the hereditary comparison is a really good one because that is a, a film which similarly is unsettling almost during the entire runtime. Uh, and, and probably both films left me at points of actually wanting to go no 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 hang on a minute stop i just I, this is this is really getting a little bit much i need you to to just dial things back a a little bit one criticism i have seen of the film though in some of the online reviews is that it's not rich thematically and i found that very odd because there's so much talk about grief and its effects in particular sophie's relationship with her late mother and why she might be motivated into this that that criticism feels somewhat harsh would you agree yeah i i mean i've absolutely yeah, I can't understand why so just no thematic. I can probably pick this film apart so much. I mean, um, like I said, Maria does start with the loss of her mother um, and she's trying to deal with that grief and depression and she's been, like, ostracised from classmates at school due to it and she's trying to become popular and that's why she goes for it. And But there's still... You know, the whole thing about when you have grief, you separate yourself from your family and your friends and trying to find your way back is part of the problem um and this film i thought dealt with that quite well especially her estrangement between her and her father max um and trying to work out what the story was what did happen with her mother and everything else which is all tied together um i, I, just, I, I actually really also quite like the family dynamic as well where she's estranged from her father but taken in by um Miranda Atto's character and her best friend and the younger brother um tyson again played by a uh, um, I think it was Hamish Phillips, who, again, was also very, very good. Um, yeah, it is a, it's a fantastic cast. It is a, a really genuinely unsettling film. As you say, it doesn't rely on jump scares, uh, although there are a few shocking moments, yeah. certainly, uh, which uh, which are just shot uh, brilliantly effectively. Um, this is, uh, I think, for my money, one definitely to seek out. But you are going to have to seek it out because it's uh, on late showings at The View yeah. cinema this week. Uh, so for some reason, it's not got quite the traction, which is a real shame. But uh, do do hunt it down. Uh, Nick, just before, you, uh, before we move on. You well, that's all right. I was just going to say do hunt it down. I noted it, it's, it was, um, I haven't seen it i'm really keen to see it so i'm going to hunt it down myself four and a half million it cost to make and it's taken a a lot more that at the box office so it's been a quite a sleeper hit i think well uh it's uh, certainly a very deserved success so that is uh, talk to me which is showing on late at the view this week uh to our final film now we've just got uh, a few minutes to uh, understand uh, if uh, the teenage mutant ninja turtles uh, should be getting any of your time this week boys where have you been <laughs> We're just running errands. That's it? Look, we're really sorry, Splinter. Some of the guys wanted to get pizza and I tried to talk them out of it. Leo! You ratted us out. Hey, don't use that word that way. I mean, it's 2023. Sorry, Dad. 
Hey, guys, if we weren't monsters that were shunned by society and we could do what we wanted, what would you guys do? Go to high school. Maybe get a girlfriend. Can you imagine that? Not likely. This is insane. Turtle, mutant, karate team. I want to know everything about you. Our dad is definitely not a giant rat. That makes me feel like he's a rat. Police are baffled by the recent crime wave led by a super fly. Nobody's ever seen his face. Why? Because he kills everyone who does. Cool. No, not cool. A bit cool. It is one of those films that uh, certainly is very much a, a Ron Seal film. It is exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, there are four turtles who are teenage, they are mutants, and they're also ninjas. And uh, there is some mayhem with other mutants as well. And it's a film, it's the second film this week, in fact, uh, after Joyride, uh, produced by uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who also serves writers on this one as well. Uh, and we're going to find out now if Simon thinks uh, they've done a better job on this than they did with Joyride. Oh, much, much better job. Um, this was the surprise film for me. I'd heard good things about it, but I was not prepared for just how fantastic it was. Um, everything about it, Seth Rogen's gone out to make a film back to basics about the you know the origin stories of the Turtles, with a very young cast playing the Turtles, which really made it age-appropriate. Um, you've got Ayo Edaberry playing April O'Neil. Uh, she's from uh, The Bear, if you've been, playing, if you've been watching that. Um, the art style is absolutely fantastic. I was not a fan of the similar style in Spider-Man, uh, Into the Spider-Verse recently. Um, this is similar with the slightly unfinished uh, paintwork, but it just looked absolutely fantastic. I thought it was much, much better than the Spider-Man. Uh, pretty much all of it was. Um, it's got an absolutely loaded cast of cameos, but to be honest, the vast majority of those are cameos. Um, but it doesn't matter because the chemistry um, between the main four is just so spot on, you know, well-written, well-voiced, looks brilliant you kind of like want to hang out with these turtles um Seth Rogen's done an absolutely fantastic job of bringing it up to date while having it in the 90s um you do get the usual problem about the guys when they're being up to date in teenagers when he brings all the cultural touchstones like Beyonce, Drake and Ferris Bueller together and you're like sorry what <laughs> um but I mean, the other thing I've got praise for is the soundtrack. Um, you've probably heard me say it on the radio show, but Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross absolutely hit it out of the park again. Um, I've been listening to it all week. I stayed to the end of the credits just to listen to the soundtrack. It's absolutely fantastic. Mixed in with all the 90s hip-hop, which it comes back to, gives it a nice, cool, relaxed vibe for most of it. Um, Jackie Chan as Splinter is more different Splinter to what you're used to, but more than just stunt casting, he's not a cameo. He really brings a lot of heart to it, of trying to be the father, trying to, you know, worried about his kids. Everything about this film was just fantastic, really. I mean, I would struggle to disagree. Uh, I think, you know, it's been a great summer for animation. I really enjoyed the, the Spider-Man film. But this has a, a different animation style, one that works very well in context as well. Uh, and, you know, it's just... 
So well written. Uh, probably one of my favourite projects were actually written by uh, by uh, Seth Rogen and, uh, mm. and Evan Goldberg. Uh, you know, they, they, they just nail the, the chemistry between the characters. Uh, they keep the whole thing moving. Uh, it's not overcomplicated in terms of, you know, we have one single central villain to focus on, uh, a nice, tight, lean plot, uh, and it feels like a convincing origin story for the, the Turtles themselves. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think it's only about 90-ish minutes, isn't it, as well? It's not too long. Um, I mean, I've seen some complaints saying the plot is almost too simple, but what is there is all you want and it's yeah. you know, one hour forty it's um you know it everything there serves the plot it's simple it's great you have a big maybe toward the end you get a big fight and it gets a bit muddled but apart from that it's just absolutely brilliant film about the teenagers trying to find a place in the world well, uh, we've got about 30 seconds for me to ask you uh, both what your film of the week is. Uh, just uh, just fire a title at me. I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Excellent. Well, I'm going to say The Meg. Uh, and if I put your microphone up, that would uh, help. So that, And I will say The Meg. <laughs> um, and I will say Talk To Me, but The Turtles is a very close second. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure for us. Hope it has for you too. Thank you to, uh, to Nick and Simon for all their hard work this week. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks as a team, maybe not us as individuals, and we'll be talking about Haunted Mansion, uh, Blue Beetle and Gran Turismo, among other things. Uh, but do stay tuned and uh, thank you for your company.